Yeah, we we just sung after coming to the foot of the cross and sharing bread and wine and celebrating all that that means. We then sang, we love, we love, we love your presence. And Father, as we turn now to your word, your ever-living, fully active, incredible, enduring, life-giving word, we say we love your presence. And so would you draw us in to see more of you? Would you turn light bulbs on in our thinking? Would you bring freedom into our lives as we sit under your word? Transform us, we pray, as we gaze upon your beauty this morning. And help me, God. Help me. Help each of us. Come now by your spirit. Amen. Mm. Good. Well, good morning. Um, my name is Simon. And I do love the Bible. Um, but not as much as I love Jesus. And I'm excited to be able to speak to you this morning. So um, it'd be good to have your Bibles with you. Uh, we're not actually going to go to the passage that's on the uh, screen just yet. Um, that's a little teaser for later. Um, but one of the we, recently we had a conference. And uh, so if, you, <laughs> if you've not been with us before and earlier, uh, you heard talk about we came to see Surprise. Um, well, that was the name of the guy who came and led our conference. And uh, it was a fabulous time. And uh, and one of the themes which came out of the conference was that of the presence of God. And there's no doubt in my mind, um, and I've, Beck, my wife and I and our kids have been part of Jubilee now for five and a half years. There is no doubt that the presence of God is a feature of Jubilee Church. And that over the years, we have prioritised the presence of God as being of central importance and the fact that we as his people need the presence of God. And it kind of begs the question that ultimately if we don't have the presence of God, then what do we have? You know, <laughs> kind of what else is there for us as a church? But we don't take it lightly. I've, something God's been underscoring to me recently is, you know that verse that we quote quite frequently about coming confidently into his presence? Well, we can do that. But we mustn't come casually. And there's a difference. This is the presence of God that we're talking about here. It's why earlier Paul and Pam encouraged us to take time to examine ourselves. Why? Because we're coming into the very presence of God. But saying all that, God is definitely underlining this to us again, that we must be a people who are distinguished by his presence. And, uh, and so, therefore, when we gather, we expect to encounter him. And when we don't gather, because we're out there doing our things, we expect the presence of God as well. Yeah. And so this morning, we're going to head into the Old Testament 
to look at one of the images that scripture uses for the presence of God, and that is the cloud. And uh, the first time we see the cloud uh, used in this sort of a way is in Exodus chapter 13. So if you do have your Bibles with you, then uh, take a look at Exodus chapter 13. The Israelites have just fled from Egypt. Centuries of slavery are now over. And they've been thrust out into the wilderness as a free people. And we see, first of all, the cloud appear ahead of them, giving guidance. So we're going to read a few verses from Exodus chapter 13, starting at verse 17. Now, when Pharaoh, that was the ruler of Egypt, had let the people go, that the people are the Israelites, God didn't lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, even though it was near. For God said, the people might change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. Hence, God led the people around by the way of the wilderness to the Red Sea. And the sons of Israel went up in martial array from the land of Egypt. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for he had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely take care of you, and you shall carry my bones from here with you. Then they set out from Succoth and camped in Etham on the edge of the wilderness. Then the Lord was going before them in a pillar of cloud by day to lead them on the way, and in a pillar of fire by night to give them light." that they might travel by day and by night. He didn't take away the pillar of cloud by day, nor the pillar of fire by night from before the people. God's grace is right over this story. He sees them in slavery. He pursues them, sends a, a rescuer in the form of Moses He then rescues them out of Egypt. He delivers them. And now he's leading them out of slavery into freedom. And graciously, knowing what these people are like, he leads them to the wilderness. He leads them to the edge of the Red Sea. Verse 17. When Pharaoh saw they gone, God didn't lead them by the way of the Philistines, even though it was near. For God said they might change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. I wonder how many times there's been a route which seemed far more convenient, more efficient, more pleasant, better views, just all round far, far better. But instead, God took you the long way round. When we were moving to Solihull, which is five years ago next month, our house took a long time to sell. I'm sure it doesn't break any records, but it felt like a long, long time, and it was. It was over a year. Houses were coming onto the market and going off the market because they got sold, and still nothing was happening to it. And it meant that in the end, we had to put most of our belongings into storage and move into a rented house, which... Well, it could be described as an unheated death trap for toddlers. Um, Yeah, there's a story there. I'll tell you another time. And throughout it, I'm thinking, why? 
God has told us to move to Solihull. So surely this wasn't the plan. Uh, Actually, Simon, this is the plan. And I bet that in this room there are stories and stories and stories of God took me the long way round. Illness or medical conditions which lasted for years. We've heard a testimony. Why 18 years? Why 18 years for Sue? Job promotions that were slow in coming. Hopes and dreams and promises that God has spoken which were delayed in being fulfilled. Now, bottom line is, God knows which way is best for us. And it's sometimes not what we imagine. Sometimes he takes us the long way around. And in this story, we see that God knows how fickle we are. How quickly we forget. How swiftly our glasses become rose-tinted. How soon we begin to think that maybe the grass was greener back on the other side. And I know certainly that for me, the slightest sign of a setback, my inclination is to wish that things were different. (laughs) Convince myself that things were better beforehand than they are now and ever going to be. And why did I even bother in the first place? (coughs) But the reality is that the way that may look the best way to us isn't necessarily that. And God draws us to himself constantly. And as in this picture that we're going to look at, he goes ahead of us and leads the way, guides us in the way to go. And actually, this story is all about God fulfilling his word, even though we may have to wait. Verse 19. I'll just read it again because it is really random. Um, Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for he had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely take care of you and you shall carry my bones from here with you. If you want to find out the backstory to that, read the end of Genesis, which is the previous book in the Bible. But, I mean, can you imagine it? Zipporah, Moses' wife, saying, right, Moses, we're on our way. We're being kicked out. You know, the people are all ready to, to leave Egypt. So have you got everything? Have you packed the saucepans, the tent, the water bottle, the toothbrush, the plunder from the Egyptians, Joseph's bones? I mean, <laughs> what? Who has that on their inventory? This is promise being fulfilled. 430 years the Israelites had been in Egypt. And within the first bit of that, Joseph says, I'm going to die, but you will leave. And when you do, make sure you've got my bones with me because I don't want to be stuck in Egypt. I want to be in the promised land. Not only does God guide us the long way around sometimes, he sometimes makes us wait for fulfilment and wait 
and wait and wait. What was it Vicky brought earlier? God knows the time. (laughs) So we may have to wait and wait. But in the midst of this, in the midst of his gracious leading, in the midst of fulfilment of promise, we then read in verse 21, the Lord was going before them in a pillar of cloud by day to lead them on the way and in a pillar of fire by night to give them light that they may travel by day and by night. The cloud the cloud the cloud so they could travel by the day so they would know the way god's guidance so clearly ahead of them <clears throat> turned into fire at night so they could continue to follow god's guidance through the night sometimes we we package up god's influence in our lives into little bits of the week sunday morning well done you're all here life group evening Maybe our devotional time. It's great. They're all really important. God's guidance and presence was with his people day and night. Cloud and fire. That's got to be true for us too. We don't need to wait for a special occasion. We can continually be walking away from slavery and into freedom. Day and night, cloud and fire. And sometimes his guidance may seem strange to us. I mean, a cloud and fire. I mean, it's not normal, is it? Maybe it is to you. It it seems, (laughs) seems strange to me. Sometimes it feels like he's taking us a a strange way. Sometimes it's a long, long time coming. But his presence is there day and night, cloud and fire. And so God in the cloud guides his people out of Egypt and they're on their way and then The Egyptians realised. I mean, oh my word. They must have been desperate. They'd been clinging on to these slaves. All sorts of stuff had happened. Frogs, boils, hail, cattle dying, all sorts. And then finally they go, right, we've had enough. You've killed our firstborn sons, so you're out. And take all our stuff with, with you as well. All our riches, go. They must have been at their absolute wits end. And uh, chapter 14 then carries on the story because the people have come to the Red Sea. The Egyptians realise what they've done, that they've lost their labour force. I mean, someone's got to build these pyramids. And so the, the army is assembled. Pharaoh assembles his army. And uh, he, do, he doesn't just kind of go, right, anyone available, you know, come on. No, verse 7, he takes 600 select chariots. 600 select chariots and they chase the Israelites and they overtake them, which you know is going to happen because the Israelites are on foot and chariots go fast. And so they chase them and they keep chasing after them. And then in verse 10 of chapter 14 of Exodus, as Pharaoh drew near and the sons of Israel looked and behold, 
the Egyptians were marching after them and they became very frightened. And the Israelites cry out to Moses and say, what are you doing? Weren't there graves in Egypt that we could have been buried in? Well, Joseph didn't think so, did he? (laughs) (laughs) And Moses basically says, just stand still. God will fight for you and he will win. Verse 11 and 12. And I just wonder how often we find ourselves looking back over our shoulders. And I'm not going to sing. But we're so concerned with what we've been rescued from that we keep looking back at it. Wondering about it. So concerned about that trouble. We're we're going forward, but we're concerned about what's behind. And it gets to the point where the problem looms so large that we become paralysed with fear, with anxiety, with concern, with worry. At this threat which is very real to us. That we can't go any further. And instead, we wish we were back in, in this case, slavery. And it happened so quickly. I mean, verse 8, the sons of Israel were going out boldly. Verse 10, they were very frightened. I mean, it's fast. This kind of swing of emotion. Yeah, we're on our way. Off we go. We've dealt with them. Oh, maybe we haven't. How quick we are for our courage, for our faith, to fade when difficulty arises. And I find, I find it happens to me when things go wrong, it takes me by surprise and makes me doubt stuff. So a few weeks ago, I was um, facing an issue at work and uh, the situation had been bubbling along for a while. And I'd been looking at it, been concerned about it. And then things came to a bit of a head. And I didn't sleep particularly well. It was on my mind. I was a bit preoccupied. Fortunately, God has blessed me with a very wise wife who said to me one day, Simon, um, I really think you should pray about this. (laughs) What? This is like genius. You should pray for the situation to change or the situation to move on. (laughs) Ah, okay, good idea. So I did, and I've had to keep praying about it because it's not totally resolved. But I'm not looking over my shoulder. I keep taking it back to God. Why? Because he's called me to keep moving forward. And we've got to remember where God is leading us. We've got to keep following him. We've got to be full of faith. So the Israelites are at the edge of the Red Sea. They're looking back over their shoulders, concerned about what's happening, wishing that they died in Egypt instead. And then what happens? Verses 19 and 20 of Exodus chapter 14. The angel of God 
who had been going before the camp of Israel, moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them. So it came between the camp of Egypt and the camp of Israel. And there was the cloud along with the darkness, yet it gave light at night. Thus the one did not come near the other all night. You see, this cloud, which had been going in front of the people and had led them to the edge of the Red Sea, the long way round, remember, now moves behind them. God not only guides us, but he protects us. God moves from the front of his people to the back of his people. And he provides darkness for the Egyptians and light for the Israelites. And all through the night, God separates these two people. Two people groups. And what did God do in the night? He parted the sea. So he he blew, a strong wind blew all night, parted the sea. And in the morning, the Egyptians walked through the sea. That's what it meant. Sorry. (laughs) Just checking you're listening. So the Israelites, as I was saying, (laughs) this is going out live. The Israelites went through the sea. I find that remarkable, don't you? There's a sea there, and then in a night, God blows it so far apart that two million people can walk through. That's approximately what it is. 600,000 people in the sen- 600,000 men of fighting age in the census. So around about two million people, is my estimate. Two million people. That's like Birmingham walking through the English Channel. I'm not suggesting that Birmingham should invade France. But it's that kind of thing that's going on. This, is, this scale is... We just read it. I mean, they, they teach this stuff in Sunday school. We go, oh, yeah, he parted the Red Sea and the people went through. This is two million people. And all their stuff. And Joseph's bones. I mean, it all goes through. And you'd think that after clearing the way and then two million pairs of feet trampling down the seabed, that it's not bad for chariots to race across. So these 600 select chariots, verse 24, at the morning watch, the Lord looked down on the army of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and cloud, and brought the army of the Egyptians into confusion. He caused their chariot wheels to swerve, and he made them drive with difficulty. Try using that on your insurance claim. So the Egyptians said, let us flee from Israel, for the Lord is fighting for them against the Egyptians. And basically, the army perished. This is the best trained chariot army in the world, No more. But what happens for the people? Well, they were looking over their shoulders at the danger. And the issue with looking backwards is you can't look forwards. And if they'd continued to look backwards, they wouldn't have seen the miracle that God was bringing before their very eyes. 
The sea was parted. The opposition was dealt with. The Red Sea, you see, was an occasion for God to prove himself faithful, powerful, to show that victory was complete. This army would no longer be a threat. There would be no Egyptian army coming after them. And until they were destroyed in the sea, there was that option still alive. So God dealt with it once and for all. But if they'd kept looking backwards, they wouldn't have seen the miracle that God did in parting the sea. They wouldn't have seen the way made open. Sometimes we're so obsessed with what's behind, what might be, what might come back to get us, that we miss the miracle. The New Testament helps us. Philippians chapter 3, verse 13. This is Paul writing. One thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. The writer to the Hebrews Chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Etc. Etc. Instead of looking behind, we leave behind. Instead of that, in, in scripture, Egypt is a picture of sin and slavery in the old life. So instead of looking at that, we look forward. We leave behind the sin that so easily entangles us and we fix our eyes on what? On God. We fix our eyes on Jesus and run. The past is the past. History is dealt with. Sin, done. Slavery, over. No hold on us. We can walk free. When can we walk free? Through the day or through the night because that's when the cloud leads us forward. And he's got our back. (laughs) No idea. Where am I? Let's just put them over there. Okay. I just feel like we should pause there. Not just because I've lost my place in my notes. Um, Some of you are looking back over your shoulders. When God deals with the past, he deals with the past. When God deals with sin, he deals with sin. You say, yeah, but Simon, the sin means that there are consequences that I have to deal with. Yes, yes, absolutely. But the sin doesn't need to entangle you. That has no hold on you. You can walk in freedom. Jesus, we come before you now. And we pray that there will be a cutting off of any of that entangling sin, which is trying to get its tentacles around our feet as we walk forward out of slavery and into freedom, we pray there will be a cutting off of anything that would seek to keep us locked in the past. 
Give us grace to deal with what we have in front of us. But give us freedom from the past, we pray. Amen. So, not only was the cloud ahead of them giving guidance and behind them giving protection, but the cloud was also among them. God's presence among them. God's stated intention, you can read it in Exodus 29, was that he would dwell among his people. Remember these two million people, and they're, they're, they're basically refugees. So it, I've got a couple of photos. Um, so these are from some of the largest refugee camps in Africa. The one on the right, I think, is about 200,000 people live there. So 10 times the size is 2 million. It's not chaotic. But it's not the Hilton. Again, the scale is just mind-boggling. And Rob alluded to this last week, but it's worth thinking about how the Israelites actually arranged their camp. So there were... I need to be accurate, but then we get into some detail. There, there were 13 tribes. I know there were 12. There were 13 tribes. Because Joseph didn't have a tribe. Joseph had two tribes, Ephraim and Manasseh. Okay, So it created an extra one. And so when you look at the list there, there are 12 listed. And the 13th one, Levi, they camped inside the area of God's tent, inside the tabernacle area. So you've got basically these 12 other tribes arranged in groups of three. And they camped around the tabernacle. The areas of those rectangles are roughly to scale. It's not perfect, but it's roughly to scale in terms of the numbers of people in each of those four groupings. You can look it up in Numbers chapter 2 when the census was taken. Adds up to about 600,000. That's the number of fighting men. Looks remarkably like a cross. And the people had to camp so that they faced the tabernacle. They weren't allowed to put their tent down so they had a south-facing garden or so that they got a nice view of the sunrise or they could just sit there with a you know, Sinai beer watching the sun go down in the evening. It, it didn't work like that. They all had to... They all had to put their tents... So they were facing the tabernacle. Why? Because the most important thing in their lives is the presence of God. We need to read Numbers chapter chapter 9 verses 15 to 23. Now on the day that the tabernacle was erected, the cloud covered the tabernacle the tent of the testimony. And in the evening, it was like the appearance of fire over the tabernacle until morning. So it was continuously. The cloud would cover it by day and the appearance of fire by night. Whenever the cloud was lifted from the tent, 
Afterwards, the sons of Israel would set out. And in the place where the cloud settled down, there the sons of Israel would camp. At the command of the Lord, the sons of Israel would set out. And at the command of the Lord, they would camp. As long as the cloud settled over the tabernacle, they remained camped. Even when the cloud lingered over the tabernacle for many days, the sons of Israel would keep the Lord's charge and not set out. If sometimes the cloud remained a few days over the tabernacle, according to the command of the Lord, they remained camped. Then, according to the command of the Lord, they set out. If sometimes the cloud remained from evening till morning, when the cloud was lifted in the morning, they would move out. Or if it remained in the daytime and at night, whenever the cloud was lifted, they would set out. I know it sounds a bit repetitive, but there's, it's really important. God only repeats stuff when we really need to listen. Whether it was two days or a month or a year that the cloud lingered over the tabernacle, staying above it, the sons of Israel remained camped and did not set out. But when it was lifted, they did set out. At the command of the Lord, they camped and at the command of the Lord, they set out. They kept the Lord's charge according to the command of the Lord through Moses. Verse 15, on the day that the tabernacle was erected, as soon as it was ready, the cloud came. The cloud came. You can read about it, the end of Exodus. Same thing happened when Solomon built his temple in 2 Kings 5. The priest took the ark into the temple and when they came out immediately, The cloud filled the temple and the priests couldn't perform their duties. It's amazing, but absolutely amazing. As soon as the place is prepared, God came. No delay, no hiding, no future appointment. He simply comes. And isn't this true for us? As soon as we repent and ask for forgiveness... He comes by the Holy Spirit. As soon as we invite him, he comes. As soon as we begin to worship, he's here. One of the things that struck me the first time we visited uh, Jubilee was how quickly we were in the presence of God as a people. There's a grace on us for it. We need to guard it. We need to, it's a privilege And it's biblical. As soon as the people were ready, God came. He loves to dwell among his people. He loves to meet us. He loves to rush in and draw us nearer to himself. And he stayed there. Day and night. Cloud and fire. And then we had all those verses where it's just again and again, the cloud, when it's on the tent, the people stay. When it rises, off they go. That was the sign. Which begs the question, how did they know? Well, they just had to look. Had to look to see what was happening with the cloud. Remember, everyone camped facing the tabernacle. Whichever the part of the camp you were in, you pitched your tent 
so you could see the glory of God hovering over the place where God dwelt. So each morning you would pull back your goat skinned tent and you would look and what would you see towering above all the other tents in front of you, even if you were right at the back of your area? You'd see where the cloud was. Was it still on the tabernacle or had it raised from the tabernacle? Your eye, as you come out of your tent, would be drawn forwards and upwards. What if you didn't come out of your tent in the morning? You would come out of your tent in the morning because you wouldn't eat otherwise. Remember the manna that was provided every single day? And it was on the floor ground and they had to go and collect it. If you didn't collect it before the sun came up and heated it, it would melt. That's what happened. So you were forced out of your tent for daily life and to get food. But the first thing you do is you look for the glory. What a picture of how to start your day. Before doing your very important daily tasks, like getting food, you look forward and you look up. What is God doing with his cloud? And we as his people, we have to keep looking. This is day after day. There's no kind of predicting. There's no 40-year plan that God lays down. Every day, where's the cloud? Sometimes it would just stay overnight and they'd be off again. Sometimes it would stay there for a few weeks. Sometimes for a year. Every day, you come out of your tent. Where's the glory of God? What are we doing today? You have to have that as your habit. And we as a church need to be constantly on the lookout for what God is doing. So three and a half years ago, November 2015, the cloud moved for us. Geographically, it was only across the road. But spiritually, hasn't there been a gear change? It was time to move. And things opened up for us. We now have a children's storehouse. We now have a prayer room, a creative studio. We run events like crazy conferences where God just turns up and changes people's lives. We run Bible school. We run youth events. We do just worship and thirst and on and on and on. The cloud moved. We moved with it. And we're here now. And what's true for us as people must be true for us as individuals. We need to keep an eye on the cloud. What's God up to? Where's he leading today? Did you ask that question in the morning? Do you look around your office? Who's God leading you to? Have we trained ourselves in being sensitive to him and following where he leads? As you sit in your staff room, as you teach your class... As you wait on the playground for your children to come out of school. As you wander around the supermarket. Where's the cloud? Where's God's glory? What is he doing? But I also feel, 
And this morning, God wants to bring some freedom for people in relation to this living under the cloud. You see, living under a cloud has in our kind of language and culture very negative connotations. Speaks of depression or grief, uncertainty, mental health, disappointment. We use it in other contexts as well when we say how people might have left under a cloud. She kind of speaks of disgrace or suspicion, being discredited or being shamed. And there may be things like that hanging around for people at the moment. And I really felt as I prepared this that we need to be a people who move from living under a cloud to living under the cloud. The picture that we have here is that the people of God lived under a specific cloud, the cloud of God's presence, the cloud of his glory. That was what dominated their thinking. That's how they organized their lives. And it's time for us to redeem this phrase of living under a cloud, I think. And I feel that there's an invitation for you this morning to change your cloud. And I know that these clouds are often linked with kind of mental health issues and depression and and those sorts of things. And so I'm not saying this glibly. But just as if you had a broken arm... I would say to you, I will pray for you because I believe that God can instantly change that broken arm into a fixed arm. So with these issues, God can and does intervene. He can and does change things instantly. He's perfectly capable of doing that. God can replace clouds of fear, clouds of illness, clouds of depression, clouds of suspicion and accusation. And he can replace them with the cloud of his presence and with the cloud of knowing him. You see, because shame can be replaced by God with honour. Disgrace can be replaced by God with glory. Suspicion can be replaced with acceptance. He can disperse clouds of any and every sort with the light of his glory, which pierces through and banishes the darkness. And just as there's no need for us to look behind for fear of what the enemy is up to, so there's no need for us to look down because we're underneath the wrong sort of cloud. And so for some of you this morning, what you need to hear is that the cloud is ahead of you, leading you in the right way. So you need to follow the cloud. Some of you need to know that the cloud is behind you. He has your back. He is protecting you and guarding you. All of us need to hear that his cloud is among us, as his presence is here. And some of you need to know that that cloud can be replaced. The cloud that you're under can be replaced with the cloud of his glory. I'd love it if we could stand.
I don't quite know what's going to happen next. So as I was preparing this, I was really feeling that there was going to be freedom for people. I think we dealt with a little bit of it, the freedom from being tied to the past. But I think there's a freedom over these clouds. I just believe that God, I don't know why I'm clicking, but just believe that God wants to really break it off people. Really believe that he's, he's in the business of providing freedom. So just draw near to him. Draw near to him. If you want to make that a physical sign by walking to the front and saying, I want to stand under your cloud, then do that. And if you want people to pray for you for any of the stuff that we've said or anything that God has highlighted to you this morning, then gather at the front and there will be people who will pray for you. But I'm just going to lead us all in prayer now. Father God, we... So love your presence. We so love your presence. The fact that when we gather, you come. You speak to us. You meet with us. And Father, as we've looked at this Old Testament image of the cloud, I pray now, Father, for a realisation of what you are up to in our lives. Father, I pray for people who are under a cloud that is not the cloud of your glory. We pray, would you bring freedom? Would you disperse it with your glory and bring people into the freedom that comes from living under your cloud?